This program is a production of Restoring the Core, an initiative designed to assist those wishing to go deeper into classic Christianity with resources available in a connected age, online at restoringthecore.com. This is Finding Hidden Treasure, episode 119. Today's episode is a discussion of some applications of the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Recently, I've been reading through a number of the Lord Jesus' parables as found in Matthew chapter 13. Among them is Jesus' parable of the wheat and the weeds, or sometimes also called the wheat and the tares. Let me read the account as we find it in Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30. He, that is Jesus, put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. We also have the benefit of a divine explanation and commentary given by the Lord Jesus to explain this parable. We find this in verses 36 through 43. Then he, that's Jesus, left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. There are several points I'd like to bring up within this podcast. One of them has to do with an ongoing question about why God doesn't remove evil from our world at this time. Clearly, we live in a world in which so much evil grows and flourishes. Why does God permit this? This is a truly complex question. Theologians and philosophers have wrestled with this question for centuries. My reflections here are not meant to be a complete answer to this. Hopefully it provides some insight. This will sound paradoxical, but consider, if instead of waiting until the end of the age or the time of the harvest mentioned in the parable, if God ended evil right now, I believe that present and future good would likely suffer. Okay, what does that mean? Consider present good. In the parable, we find that the master of the field tells his servants to not dig up the weeds also known as the tares, because they might also dig up the wheat as well. The type of wheat or tear that's mentioned in this parable is thought to be a darnel. Their roots can become entangled with other plants, and in the case of this parable, due to that kind of entanglement, the wheat could be pulled up along with the weeds. To add to this, the wheat and the weeds look very similar early on. It's not until they mature that you can clearly see the difference. You might think that you're removing a weed, and you're really removing a stalk of wheat. The point here is that early removal of a weed, that is, evil, could possibly cause an uprooting of the wheat, the good. But how could eradication of evil now be harmful to present-day good? 
I think we find a biblical example of this in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 6. In this account, we find King David looking to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. Those transporting the Ark should have been carrying it on poles as the Lord had told Moses centuries earlier. Instead, they put it on an ox cart. This is not the way to transport the throne of the Divine Majesty. In modern day terms, I suspect that Queen Elizabeth II of England would never allow herself to be seated on a throne while that throne was sitting atop an ox cart being pulled through the streets of London. How much more the Lord of Glory? A man named Uzzah put out his hand to steady the ark. Despite what was probably meant as a kindness so that the ark would not fall off the ox cart, God promptly killed Uzzah for violating his holiness by touching the ark, touching his throne. King David much later understood why God did this. However, he didn't understand it immediately. Note David's reaction in verses 8 and 9. The text reads, And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? Clearly, David was fearful at what had happened, as he didn't understand why God did what he did at that point. However, Commentators are split as to who or what David was angry with. David might, and I stress might, actually have been angry with the Lord for what he did to Uzzah. I use this as an example of what our reaction might be if God suddenly killed someone we knew for a sin they committed and the punishment happened immediately. I suspect that even believers in Christ might react with anger and fear toward God. We might forget that God has the right to do this. In the exercise of his justice, we might grow fearful of God, wondering who he'll take down next, maybe even us, and angry at him for not giving the freshly killed sinner just one more chance. I suspect we take God's grace toward us for granted, and as the late R.C. Sproul once observed, we find God's exercise of his holy justice to be amazing, not his grace. Think also about how future good could suffer. For those of us in Christ, Think back, if you can, to a time just before you came to repentance and faith in Christ. You would not be here today if God exercised his holy justice on you for a sin that you committed prior to your coming to faith in Christ. Extend that out. Consider this. There are people living evil lives today who haven't come to Christ yet. By his grace, they will. But that hasn't happened yet. If God exercised his holy justice on them now, the future conversion to a life in Christ would never happen. There's one last application of this parable that I think would be helpful for us to consider in our time. We know from the parable that the evil and the good are allowed to grow to maturity side by side. In our time, it's not difficult to focus on the things in this world that reflect evil. However, our focus might be in need of adjustment. A biblical example of this can be found in the account of the prophet Elijah at Mount Horeb, another name for Mount Sinai. Let's set the scene. The account can be found in 1 Kings chapter 19. Elijah has just been used by God as a channel for his divine power as 400 prophets of Baal have been shown to be false prophets and, as a result, executed at Elijah's command. Queen Jezebel is very angry with Elijah and marks him for death. As a result, Elijah flees and takes a 40-day journey to Mount Horeb for an encounter with God. We pick up the account in verse 9. There he, Elijah, came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. 
For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. God will ask Elijah the same question, while Elijah answers with basically the same answer the second time. God's reply is a bit different this time. While giving Elijah some specific instructions about tasks to be performed once he returns, the Lord corrects Elijah's perception of things. In verse 18, we find the Lord telling Elijah, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Elijah's witnessing of the evils of the reigns of Ahab and Jezebel left him with the impression that he was the only one of God's people left in the land. There is some evidence, more than time can tell right now, that Elijah should have known that he was not the only one left. Often persecution leads to what we have called the pity party, and it appears that Elijah may have been in the midst of one. Consider, though, God kindly reminded Elijah that he had 7,000 fellow worshipers of God in the land of Israel. I suspect that there are times that we fall into the same thinking which Elijah fell into. We do see a great amount of evil happening in our time. Yet, as God informed Elijah and the Lord Jesus' parable reminds us, focusing only on the evil gives us an incomplete picture of the way things are. The good grows alongside the evil. Look for it. It may be harder to see as bad news has a way of getting more attention than the good. Take the internet, for example. The same technology that can be used to transmit pornography and be used for criminal activity on the dark web also provides access to what John MacArthur called the greatest explosion of truth in history. Christian books, sermons in text, audio, or video format, podcasts, worship music, and so much more is available to us via the internet. The access we have today is more than anyone could have even imagined a generation ago. My takeaway for you from this is that while evil is growing into its ultimate form, so is the good which God is doing here on earth. The Lord Jesus' parable assures us that evil will not be with us forever. Do not let its growth at this time be your sole focus in the world around you. Look for the wheat, the good growth, and praise God for what he is doing with it. Thank you for listening to this program. We can be contacted at mail at restoringthecore.com. We're on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash restoringthecore. You can also follow us on Twitter at Restore the Core. Thank you for listening. We hope you will join us next time for Finding Hidden Treasure.